but also the parables, which is one of Jesus' favorite ways of teaching. I remember even to this day as a fifth grader at my elementary school, our teacher, I went to a Christian school up to fifth grade. Uh, I remember my fifth grade teacher saying, parables are like earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. And it's always stuck in my mind. And I think it's a good little summary that Jesus is in some ways making up stories. These aren't true stories, but he's using earthly realities in order to communicate something to us about the kingdom of God. And so tonight we're going we're gonna to jump in on one of those in Matthew chapter 20. It's on the sheet in front of you. And at the same time, if you bring a Bible each week, you can be assured that we will open it, we will study it, we will read it. So if, um, if you have a Bible that you want to bring, that's great, but we also will have it provided for you. So Matthew chapter 20, it's God's word for us tonight. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. Let me pray for us. Our Lord and our God, we come before you with your word opened. And we confess that we need you and we need your spirit to help us to understand these words. We need your spirit to apply them to our hearts. And we ask, God, that you will transform us even as we study your word tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. There, there are a few things in, in my life and probably your life as well, I'm just going to guess, that can get me as angry as someone who's cutting in line. Whenever you've been, you know, you've, you've been in that moment like where you're waiting and the line, whatever you're waiting for, is moving slow. And you're waiting your turn, and you're waiting your turn, you're waiting your turn until somebody jumps in front and takes advantage of the opportunity after you've been waiting for so long. Apparently, I'm not the only one. There's a, a video that went viral last week from a Morgan Wallen concert that had nothing to do with Morgan Wallen or anything that happened on stage. It was the reality that there were some ladies in line for the porta potty when one of them decided to skip the line, and she wasn't having it. And a brawl ensued in the porta potties. Over getting into, like, this is, this is terrible, but we, we get that feeling of what it's like to be waiting and for it to be your turn and for somebody to jump the line and get what you thought was rightfully your place. It's frustrating and it can get us uh, incredibly angry. And I think as we read this story of tonight's passage, it can almost feel as though Jesus is almost, uh, is almost 
allowing for that reality and saying that it really doesn't matter what order things come in whenever he's telling this parable and telling this story. It can make us feel disturbed and upset and kind of wondering what is going on in this passage, the way that these people are getting paid. And then he summarizes it in this last verse. The last will be first and the last, uh, the, the last will be first and the first will be last. But what I think is actually going on in this passage is not, in a, not condoning us waiting in line or things uh, operating according to a certain pattern of life, but actually Jesus is doing something remarkably profound that on the initial reading we probably are not picking up on it, and you're probably not picking up on it either. Here's what I want you to see tonight in this passage. Jesus is teaching us that there's no place for spiritual pride in the kingdom of heaven that there's no place for spiritual pride within the kingdom of heaven. And that's difficult for you and for me because we have a lot more pride in our hearts than we realize. You and I have a lot more pride going on in our hearts than we realize. So in case you missed it as I read through it, here's, here's the story that Jesus is telling that he's saying this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. He goes, it's like a man who owns a vineyard and he goes out to hire workers in that vineyard. He goes out, they're using the, the, you know, the third hour and the sixth hour. What's going, he goes out at 6 a.m. is when the workday started and he hired some laborers to come and work in his vineyard. But he goes back out at 9 a.m. and he hires more workers and he goes out at noon and at 3 p.m. and he hires more workers. And finally, at 5 p.m., there's only one more hour left in the day, he goes out and he hires more workers to come and work in the vineyard. Okay, so far so good. But when the payment time comes for them to get paid at the end of the day, this is the first time that we get surprised. Jesus says he actually reverses the order of the payment. We would have expected the people hired first would be paid first and they can go home. But actually the ones who are hired last actually get paid first. And not only do they get paid, they get paid the same amount of money that he agreed to the people that were hired at 6 a.m. They worked for one hour and they got paid a full day's wage. Now, by the time we get to the end of this parable, we're expecting the people who got paid, hired at 6 a.m., who were there at dark, and they were the ones who worked all day, they were expecting to get paid more. We're expecting them to get paid more, but they get paid the same. And they complain, and they grumble, and we kind of, you know, we're like, I, I get it. I kind of agree with them. And we get to the end of this parable, and we're like, I don't even know if this is good news. I'm not sure if I should have come to RUF tonight, because this is a weird passage for me to try to understand. And I don't know what to do with this. Well, let's dive in, and let's see if we can make some sense of what's happening in this story. Because I think what you're going to find is it tells us a lot more about our own hearts, but it also tells us a lot more about God and His grace and His kindness. So let's dive in. Here's the first thing I think we're supposed to see in this passage. Mercy and grace are foundational in the kingdom of heaven. Mercy and grace are foundational in the kingdom of heaven. At the very beginning, our, our, our minds, and I know right now you're so messed up right now because you're thinking about these laborers that got hired and you're like the first ones that got hired and they worked all day. Like You're so focused on the laborer and I am too whenever I first read this passage. But notice how it begins. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, is like a master of a house. He doesn't say the kingdom of heaven is like a laborer. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. And right out of the gate, we have to recognize the reality that Jesus is drawing our attention to the reality that central to the kingdom of heaven is God himself. That the world of the kingdom, if you will, and the world of life as it's supposed to be, revolves around God, not around you, and not around me. And that right away, if I'm honest, cuts against what the, I would like for life to be. Because there's a kingdom of Jeff that I love, that things go according to the way that I want them to go. I get the parking spot that I want. 
I get to go to the front of the line, right? Like everything revolves around the kingdom of me. But Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. He's drawing our attention to God himself. And what is this master like? Well, he goes out at 6 a.m. to hire laborers to work in his field. And as he goes to hire them, he agrees with them about a wage that they should be paid. Do you notice, do you see that in verse 2? They agree with the laborers for a denarius a day. In Jesus' day, a denarius would have been, let's just say it would have been a generous payment for a day of work. It's more than what you'd have typically been expected to get paid. The master of this house is not going in and lowballing these people. He's not going in and haggling with them. He's not taking advantage of them, but he's going out and agreeing with them to come and work in his field. And not only does he hire them at 6 a.m., but he goes out at 9 a.m., he goes out at 12 p.m., he goes out at 3 p.m., and he finally goes out at 5 p.m. Time and time again, he's going out and hiring these laborers to come and work in his field. Now, to be a laborer was not something that you would have aspired to in the first century. You wouldn't have gone away to college and been like, I want to be a laborer. Because a laborer would have been somebody who's dependent each day on somebody coming and hiring you, somebody showing up and actually giving you an opportunity to go and work, and you likely depended on that day's pay to pay for whatever the bills were that you needed, your food, your clothing, and to provide for your family. So think about the eyes of a laborer. What was it like to be a laborer in the first century? These men showed up at the marketplace and stood there waiting, hoping that somebody would come and hire them. And here comes this man who owns a vineyard, who has the means and the resources to hire them, not just at 6 a.m., but 9 a.m., noon, 3 p.m., and even 5 p.m. But when he gets to the ones that are hired last, look at verse 6. He comes to the ones about the 11th hour. The day is over. The workday is almost over. It doesn't say that he's hired them because he's like, we have an hour, hour's worth of work to do and I need more help. It seems as though he's going out out of compassion and grace for these people. And look, notice what he says in verse 6. About the 11th hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? And they said, Because no one has hired us. And he said, Go into the vineyard too. Uh, several years ago, I had to replace a, a, a bit of fence at our house, uh, put in a new fence, put in a gate. It was kind of like one of those little projects. It would just be like, a weekend project. I like that kind of stuff. I like doing um, housework like that. I like building things, and it's kind of nice to be done at the end of the day. So I go down to Home Depot. I buy all the materials that I need. At the time, I drove a truck. Those days are gone. But I had a truck. I had all the lumber loaded in the back. Um, and as I'm leaving, what, the reason that pertains to the story is because I'm leaving, I see there's a, a group of men kind of standing at the edge of the parking lot, and they were there because they were hoping that somebody would hire them. They were looking for work. Now, I wasn't in a position to need to hire somebody. Uh, I didn't have the extra money to hire them, but I happened to notice this group of men, and as they see the material in the back of my truck, they start moving my way to see if I need help to hire somebody. As I looked at the group and it became apparent to them that I didn't really need to hire anybody, there was one man in the group who instantly my attention was drawn to because he had a broken arm and he was in a cast. And I thought if there's anybody in this group who's not gonna get hired, it's him. Why would you hire him to come and work, to do labor when he essentially has one arm? We're not told why these people weren't hired at 5 p.m., but I think the argument is made they weren't hired by 5 p.m. because nobody wanted them, because they were the ones who had nothing to offer. 
Because when the man showed up at 6 a.m. to go and hire laborers for his field and everybody else showed up at 6 a.m., they're hiring the biggest and the strongest and the best and the ones who could do the labor. But when you come at 5 p.m. and here's all the people that are the, the rejects and the leftovers, who wants them? And yet the master of this vineyard comes and he says, why are you not working? Come work in my field. I'll take care of you. And right out of the gate, Jesus is calling us to see that the kingdom of heaven, well, it's like a master of a house who will go out at the final hour and hire people who have no business working and who have probably nothing to offer and generously give them a, a, a job to do and a wage to provide for them so that they can care for their family. At the very beginning, we need to see at the, at the heart of the kingdom of heaven is a foundational reality of a kingdom of mercy and grace. Jesus said that he was like a shepherd going out to find the lost sheep, going out to find them. And here's this master going out to the marketplace to hire laborers for his field. Here's the second thing that I think we're called to see. The second thing Jesus called us to see is the danger, the danger to our lives of comparison. The danger of comparison. Now this one doesn't come out so obviously and so easily, but notice that in this parable, things get weird Things go sideways, things get difficult once the first hired people compare themselves to the last hired. Do you notice that? Notice that where the things go sideways in this parable is once the first hired notice what's happening to the last hired and they compare themselves to it. Verse 11, it says, on receiving it, on receiving their pay, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, comparing themselves, these last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us. Jesus is making up this parable, right? Like he's making up this story. So the question is, why, why is he reversing this, the order of the payment? Imagine, imagine Jesus tells the parable and he says the first people that were hired at 6 a.m., they got paid first and they got paid their denarius and they went home and everybody lives happily ever after. They would have never known what happened. Jesus is reversing the order of the payment because he's revealing something in your heart and my heart as well. And it's the danger that comes in looking to others and comparing ourselves to the people around us and uh, what God is doing in their life and where we measure up against them. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of heaven. God is calling our attention to see him, not to see others in a comparison fashion. A famous pastor once said, there's only two things that can happen whenever you um, start making comparisons. You either become prideful or you become envious. And both of them are sin. And don't we compare ourselves to others all the time? You either become prideful because when you make these comparisons, you feel as though you're better than them. You feel as though you have more. You have more to offer and it leads to pride. Or... You make the comparison and either your envy leads to you hating them because they have more, they've been given more, they're prettier, they're more athletic, their grades are better, or you hate yourself because you don't measure up. The danger of comparison only leads to pride or envy. And in a subtle way, Jesus is warning us about the danger of comparison. Now, I ask you the question, why does Jesus reverse the order of the payment? Why does he do that in this story? Here's why I think Jesus reverses the order of this story. Because when you read this parable, most of you got to the end of this story and you thought to yourself, this isn't fair. This isn't right. I feel it too. That This isn't fair. 
And do you know why you think it's not fair? Because when you read this story, you identify with the person who was hired first. And you don't identify with yourself as the person who was hired last. What if you read this parable and you naturally identified yourself with the person who was hired last? The kingdom of heaven is like a person like God going out into this vineyard and he's hiring people at the, at the 11th hour at 5 o'clock and they work for one hour. And what if your natural inclination was to think, that's like me spiritually. I have no business in the kingdom of God and I'm just like these people who were hired last. And this is amazing that this is how God treats the people in his kingdom. The reason we think it's unfair, and I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with this passage, the reason why I think we feel this is unfair because I naturally see myself as like the people who are hired first, and the dangerous thing in my heart, and maybe yours too, is the suspicion that God's really not going to treat you well, that he's really not good, and that somehow he's going to leave you in the short end of the stick. And you naturally assume that you're like one of these people who are first hired and you deserve more and you're better and all of these things when Jesus is really calling us to see what we should see ourselves like is the ones that have no business being hired. We just uh, sang a song, uh, praise the Lord, his mercy, his mercy is more. Uh, our sins there are many, his mercy is more. That song was, was originated by, uh, it was motivated, or I, I should say encouraged or, or motivated by a guy named John Newton who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. John Newton also wrote in a letter to one of the parishioners of his church. This is back in the 1700s. He said, praise God, even though my sins are many, his mercy is more. John Newton, at the very end of his life, wrote this about himself. He says, although my memory is failing, there's two things that I remember. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Two things I remember. I'm a great sinner, and Jesus is a great Savior. Your heart will be enraptured by the love of Christ when you realize those twin realities are true. I'm a great sinner, and he is a great Savior. And the Bible is warning us, Jesus is warning us in this parable of the danger of the pride that comes, that we tend to believe that we're better than others and that we're like these people who are first hired. I'll give you a simple illustration. Every time I've asked uh, one of you about classes, not just you, but I mean, this is like in my history of doing college ministry, and you tell me that you have a group assignment, I know what's going to come after that. I hate group assignments because I get stuck doing all the work and nobody does anything else and I get stuck with everything and the grade depends upon me. Can I just... It was true for me, too, whenever I was in college. Can I just tell you something? In, in 15 years of doing college ministry, I've never had one person say to me, I love group assignments because I don't do anything. I've got this great group. They all do everything. Surely, in all of these years, somebody will be in NRUF who's in one of these groups that never does any work, right? We're always the one that does all the work. Why? Because we tend to always see ourselves like the one who's the first hired. Because we have a naturally, spiritually prideful condition. And I know you're going to tell me afterwards, but I really do all the work. You probably do. Um, but Jesus is warning us of the danger of spiritual pride that comes from comparison. But for you to experience that foundational reality of grace and mercy in the kingdom is only when you acknowledge your pride and the danger of the suspicion you have towards God's goodness. 
when you realize that you're naturally a spiritually prideful person and that there's, a, that there's a suspicious nature about God's kindness and his goodness to you, only when you acknowledge those realities do you realize that you rest on the foundation of God's mercy and his grace that's found for you and the work of Christ on your behalf. Can Only then can you move to the third thing that Jesus is pointing us to in this passage, and that's the, that's the privilege of belonging in the kingdom of heaven. The privilege of belonging in the kingdom of heaven. You know, the overwhelming focus in this parable is between the first hired and the last hired. All of the conversation kind of stems between those two different groups of people, the ones who are hired first and the ones who are hired last. And I think there's a fear that most of us have that we're going to be like the people who were first hired, if I could say it this way, and that somehow we're going to spend all of our lives following Christ we're going to spend all the best years of our life as followers of Christ, and we're going to miss out on all of the fun and the enjoyment that we see going on all around us. I'm sure that if you're seeking to live faithfully, at some level you feel that, even as a student on a college campus. And we'll be like these people who are hired first, and at the end of the day, maybe in our hearts we're like, I kind of wish I was like the people that were hired last, and that I could kind of have all the fun living however I want, and at the, end of the, at the end of my life, I can put my faith in Christ and I can still go to heaven and still get paid the same as these other people. Can I, just, can I just dive in on that for just a minute? I think it's a common feeling that a lot of people have. Can I just reframe that for just a minute to help you think about it in a different way? Think about what it's like to be the last hired. Let's go back to this parable. Think about what it's like to be the last hired. You show up for work early in the morning and you've got the broken arm, you've got the broken leg, whatever the case may be, you realize you're, you're smaller, you're of stature, you, can't, you have nothing to offer. And you spend 90% of your day, 11 out of the 12 hours, standing there waiting, hoping that somebody's going to come and hire you. That at, at 4 o'clock in that afternoon when nobody has come, you've thought to yourself, I've wasted my whole day. I've been here waiting. Nothing has happened. I've, I haven't produced anything. I'm not going to get paid. I've got to go home and see my wife and my kids and once again tell them nobody hired me. And I don't know how we're going to, I don't know what we're going to eat. I don't know where the, the clothes are going to come from. This is what life would have been like for those who were last hired. Compare that to the ones who were first hired. What about the people who were first hired? The ones who showed up at 6 a.m. And, and the master of the house comes and hires them. What's their day like? From the very beginning at 6 a.m., they go into work knowing that they're going to get paid a generous day's wage. They're anticipating going home and seeing their family and saying, look at what I've provided. We've got food on the table and we've got clothes that we, can, that we have and I'm going to keep the roof over our head for another month and everything is going to actually be okay. And their whole day is spent with purpose and meaning and engaging in meaningful work that's actually being beneficial to the people that are around them. If I could use that analogy for a moment to think about the people, to think about that mindset that goes, I wish I could just wait until the very end of my life to become a Christian and experience everything you know, that's kind of out there, especially that I see all my friends around a college campus. You know what it's kind of like? There's an old Puritan writer who said, Satan is a great fisherman. He loves to show the bait, but hide the hook. Satan's a great fisherman. He loves to show the bait, but hide the hook. There's a danger when we're tempted to only see the, the temptation of sin or the pleasure of sin and not see the dehumanizing, emptying ravaging effects of what it's like to live a life of disobedience apart from the way in which God has called us to live. 
You see, to think that way is to assume that a life of faithfulness is somehow going to be uh, somehow going to going to destroy the the hope or the fun that's in life. Whenever you really realize that's the path of joy and peace and hope that God has designed for you and me, and the life of disobedience, of sin, of of whatever rebellion, however you want to word it, is actually going to destroy not just your life now, but one day whenever you have to face the reality of God's judgment. Have you ever talked to someone who was older that was near the end of their life? Maybe they became a Christian later in life. Have you ever talked to somebody who was older who said to you, I can't believe I wasted my life. I can't believe I've wasted so much of my life. I wish I'd become a Christian so much earlier. I wish I'd given my life to the Christ so much younger because so much of my life has been destroyed. Or have you ever had this conversation with somebody who's only been tempted by the fleeting pleasure of sin and hasn't seen the hook, the ravaging effects that's still there? These are true stories. Uh, a friend of mine recently said, I, I realized now that my kids are grown and out of college and on their own, that my love of money and building a business kept me from seeing so much of their life growing up. I worked so much overtime. And I miss so much of their life, and I can't get it back. Or for someone to say, my lustful heart sabotaged my marriage. I had a great wife, and I ruined it. Or another who said to, said to me one time, I had, a, I had an incredible job, but my addiction to pain meds brought shame, not just on my life, but it destroyed my career. I had so much going for me until that moment. You see, that old Puritan writer was right. Satan loves to show the bait, but he hides the hook. Jesus is, is showing us in this, in this way that the, that the life of faithfulness belonging to his kingdom and belonging to him is actually one of joy and peace and hope and fulfillment and the way that life is supposed to be. And so it's why he says at the very end, so the last will be first and the first last. That there will be some surprises in the kingdom of heaven. The people who we didn't expect to see who belonged in there, the people who are outsiders, the people who are like the ones who are last hired, who come to reality and understand that my sin, though it's great, Jesus' mercy is more. And it's never too late to come to him and ask for forgiveness and mercy and grace. He's calling us to see that no matter where you are tonight, no matter what the first couple weeks of college have looked like, that if today this verse and these passages land in your heart and they're connecting with where you are, well, God invites you to come and to lay those burdens, to lay the sin, to lay the rebellion at his feet and endeavor once again to entrust your life to him, to see the fulfillment of Christ's work on the cross for you so that you can have life and belong to his kingdom. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we do ask that you will transform our hearts and our lives. And we pray that you'll forgive us for the way in which we so often look to the world around us. Uh, we look to the things that we know are contrary to your word. And we believe that somehow life will be found there. Will you forgive us for those things? Will you forgive us for the way in which we have wandered and the way in which uh, we have squandered the opportunities that you've given us. And God, at the same time, I pray that you will in, in, uh, shape our hearts and so that we can endeavor to live faithfully for you, seeing the hope that is ours in Christ, 
and the fulfillment that's finally your, that's ours.